Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. He sows some seed, and this guy doesn't just like plan rows and till up the soil. He just starts scattering seed. In fact, some of it falls on the path. It has no hope. The path is hard. It's been trampled on. It's hardened. And so it, it sits on top of the soil. And since he doesn't have one of those fake owls that you get from Home Depot, the birds come and they snatch it up. Other seeds, they fall on the rocky soil. And it falls among the rocks, and because it's got such shallow soil and the moisture's there and the nutrients are there, it sprouts up really quickly. But because it has no root, when high noon comes, it's scorched and it's withered. It produces no fruit. Then there's other seed. Other seed, it, it falls amongst the thorns, and it grows up along with the thorns, but the reality is this plant can never be the plant it was meant to be because it's fighting for the soil. It's fighting for sunlight. It's fighting for all these things, and so it never produces any fruit. But some of the seeds, they fall on good soil. And this seed, it takes root, and it grows good and healthy and slow, and it, it sprouts up, and it produces another plant or two other plants, and those plants produce plants, and those plants produce it 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. There is a great harvest. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray together. God, I pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear your truth, that we would all hear it and know that you are God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That is the parable that Jesus starts off his message with. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Mark chapter 4. In the setting of this, where he's telling this story, and it's meant to be heard, that's why he says, listen, behold, and he ends it with, he who has ears, let him hear. But he's telling this to this great crowd. You see, what's happened so far in the story, if you've been following along, is now Jesus has run aground with the Pharisees and the scribes. In fact, last week, they were so upset, they're like, hey, we've got to figure out how to kill this guy. And so he's no longer teaching in the synagogues or the temples. He's forced out, and he's teaching by the sea. In fact, there's so many people that come to hear him that he's forced to get in a boat, row out, and it says that he sits in the boat and begins to preach. In fact, the language there is a little odd if you're reading it in Greek. It almost sounds like he's sitting on the water, which I think is an allusion to later on when he's going to walk on it. And he begins to teach these parables, and he starts with this one that you just heard. But then what happens is Mark cuts forward. He cuts forward like a great director. He's, he wants to tell a story. He's not giving some historical, chronological account of things. He wants you to wrestle with the question, is Jesus king or not? And so he does a little flash forward like Christopher Nolan. Like He, he goes to this other scene that's going to explain things that you need to know in this moment. And the scene is, so there's the one scene where he's talking to the multitudes, and now it flashes forward and he's alone. 
Here's where we pick up in verse 10. Mark chapter 4, verse 10. It says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. They're like, okay, we sat and we heard all these parables. Remember, that was the scene. Now we're we're forward now. And they're like, all the parables you were saying, what were those about? We don't get it. And he said to them, verse 11, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. They're like, we don't get it. What's the deal with the parables? He goes, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Everybody who, who doesn't have that, they're just going to hear parables. See, parables is a, is a teaching tool. It's what Jesus used. It, was, it wasn't just his. There was other teachers that used it. And a parable is, is a little bit different. It's meant to be heard, and it's meant to actively engage you. Because you're like, what is this all about? And you, you actively engage with it. A parable is different than an allegory. A parable can have allegoric uh, elements, but an allegory is something, it's a long story, and every element is meant to uh, be pulled out, and you, you get more meaning the more you figure out what the things represent. But a parable is just, it's a short story with a biblical uh, or a heavenly truth in it. And it's all pointed at one direction. And, and you can't really understand it until you grab that, that heavenly principle. But once you got it, it becomes more clear. An allegory, the more you pick it apart, the more it becomes clear. Whereas a parable, if you don't know the, the one principle, the more you pick it apart, the more obscure it becomes. An allegory is meant to be seen from the outside, like a window. You can peek in and you can grab details. Whereas a parable is more like a stained glass window. From the outside, it, it just kind of looks like this weird fragmented glass. But from the inside, when it's illuminated, you see a full picture and beauty and brightness, everything that was meant to be seen. And so Jesus tells them, ironically, because they're like, we don't get the parables, he's like, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. You should get this. What is uh, the secret of the kingdom of God? It isn't a deodorant brand. It isn't the book from Oprah's book club. It's not Victoria's Secret, but the secret that Jesus is talking about is the gospel. The secret of the kingdom of God is the gospel. We saw it week one of this series. Jesus is baptized, and the voice of God speaks it out. It says, this is my son. This is who he is. And then we see it in Jesus' ministry. When he begins his ministry, it says he's proclaiming the gospel meaning the good news. And what's the good news? What's the word? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is saying, I'm the king you've been waiting for, and I'm here. He says, repent. Change your mind. Change your heart. Change the way you think about things. Change the way you think about God. Because if you don't, you're going to miss it. But repent and believe. Then we saw that Jesus goes, and there's this, this paralytic man laying before him, right? They bring him to heal him, and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And in that moment, Jesus reveals not only that he's king, but his mission, that he came to forgive sins. And then he proved to everybody in the room that he had the authority to do it, and he told the guy, get up and walk. 
And then we saw last week that he claimed that he was king and that he fulfilled the law. They thought that he was removing something valuable. Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's completed. And they were angry with him when he said he could forgive sins. Like God, they called him a blasphemer. But when he does this, they are so angry, they don't even have a word for it. And so they plot to kill him. Ironically, that will be the mechanism through which he forgives all sins. He will die on the cross and atone for our sins. And this is the secret of the kingdom of God. The gospel is that truth that illuminates this parable, that Jesus is king, that he came to forgive sins, which fulfills the law and brings us ultimate rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, which brings us to this point in our story, this parable about a sower and some seeds. And for some reason, this parable is very important to understanding the rest of them. Look, Jesus says so himself in uh, verse 13. He says this, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? There's something in this parable that they need to understand that will shed light on the rest of the parables he taught that day. So I think that's why Mark flashes forward to get you to kind of wrestle with this. And now Jesus is going to explain to them the parable. And he says to them that this is the premise of the parable. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. It's not seeds. It's the word. It's the gospel. Mark uses those interchangeably. We saw in chapter 2 when he was preaching the word that it was interchangeable with the gospel. The word word means logos. It means the definition, the exact representation, the, the full definition, the fullness of everything God wants to reveal about himself is in Jesus. The Gospel of John put it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. We see it in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, where it talks about, in the past, God spoke to us in many ways through many voices, through the prophets. But in these days, God has spoken through his Son, who is the full radiance, the full representation. Everything that God wants to reveal about himself is wrapped up in this story of the gospel, this great news of what Jesus is and what he came to do. He uses them interchangeably. The, the word gospel literally means good news. It's the word evangelio which I might be pr pronouncing that wrong. It sounds more Spanish when I say it. But it's Greek. It's where we get the word evangelism. It means a good news, a message that we couldn't derive at ourselves, a, a heavenly message that was brought to us that inspires joy. The gospel's always good news. So if you hear news about Jesus, and it's like kind of, and it's not just great news that inspires joy, it's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. And so that is what's being scattered, what's being sown. The sower sows the word, the gospel. And then he goes on to talk about these different types of soil that the gospel hits as it's scattered all around. And notice that he just scatters it all around. He doesn't like plant rows. He doesn't do any of this, which, by the way, would have hit that audience really hard. Like, 
We, we know that you're supposed to plant rows. It says in Leviticus, we can't waste this stuff. We've got to use it sparingly. And yet he's just chucking this stuff all around. And it hits these different soils. The first one, is, he says this in verse uh, 15. And these were the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown in them. To this audience, when they hear that the seed hits the path, they knew something was up, right? They, they're a little closer to their food back then or how things grew. There was a lot more farming. It's more agrarian, right? We have to watch documentaries to figure out where our food comes from. They didn't have to do that. They knew immediately when the seed hit the path, they're like, nothing grows on the path. That's where everybody tramples and walks and compacts that dirt all day. That's where the donkeys go through, the horses go through, the carts, all the stuff. It's not penetrating that. So what happens? The birds fly down, and they eat it up. He said, that's the ones who hear, and it can't penetrate. Satan comes along, and he eats up the word. It doesn't grow in them. Jesus wants his disciples to know that the gospel is going to be shared, and there are people that it's going to hit, and it will not penetrate. It's not going to go anywhere. They're going to hear it, and it's just going to bounce off of them, so don't be discouraged. Like that little ring, if you hear it, don't be discouraged about that ring. There's going to be people that hear the word, and it's going to bounce off off of them. In fact, the disciples see it already. They're in the midst of it. They're, they see this opposition with the Pharisees. Their hearts are hardened towards it. Then he goes on to talk about this next soil. He says, and these are the ones, these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Jesus wants the disciples to know that sometimes when, when the gospel is shared and it hits certain people, the way they'll react is they're going to be excited. They're going to go, it's exactly what I need to hear, that Jesus forgives sins, that he, he brings ultimate rest. It takes care of sin and death. But the moment it challenges the way that they live. The moment the opposition, because of their faith, that they're going to be ostracized, that they're going to be uh, seen as different, or maybe even harder things are down the road, that their very lives are going to be put at risk. They'll fade away because their roots don't go deep enough. And they were going to see that. The disciples saw that with, with some of their friends, their closest friends. They saw that with Nicodemus, the secret disciple, who didn't want to be known that he was a disciple, right? And so he comes in secret, and he's got the cape on and the, the funny glasses with the nose, the disguise, and he's asking Jesus questions. And so they, he wants them to know that there's going to be people that hear the gospel, and they just... It's going to be too much, and they won't be fruitful. And then finally, he talks, well, not finally, but almost finally, he talks about another type of soil, and others are sown among the thorns, verse 18. 
They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. He wants the disciples to know that, that as people encounter the gospel, as they hear it, there'll be some that it just doesn't penetrate and the birds snatch it up. There'll be some that, that uh, they'll hear it and they'll be really excited, but the moment that opposition comes because of the faith, they're out. They're not fruitful. And then there's these kind. And they kind of grow up, but they grow up among competing things. And the weeds steal the nutrients. They, they block out the sun. And the plant never gets to be what it's really meant to be. It never fully uh, bears fruit and becomes more. These are the people who hear the word, but because of the cares of the world, things that compete for its attention, things that say, no, 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 this is more important. I gotta, I gotta bury my dad. That's what they're gonna hear. Jesus is like, no, 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 the gospel is, is central, it's, it's important. There's gonna be people that come and they, and they say things like uh, they're gonna be deceived by the riches of the world. See, riches aren't bad. There's a lot of people in the Bible that use their riches in incredible ways. You read letters that Paul wrote to them. But the tricky thing about riches that Jesus points out is it lies. It gets you to think sometimes that you're fine if you can just provide for yourself. It gets you to think sometimes that maybe Jesus isn't king, maybe I'm king. Maybe I can earn my way. And so these weeds, this, this deceitfulness of riches grows up alongside and competes, and so the plant's unfruitful. Or maybe just the desires of other things, these ambitions that, that try to take the place of the gospel they're distracted, and they don't get to be all that they're meant to be. Jesus wants the disciples to know that there's going to be people who hear the gospel, and that's all they become. And then comes the big punchline in verse 20. The, he says, but, but, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, they accept it, and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. He wants them to know that, yeah, there's going to be these kind that it doesn't even penetrate, doesn't do anything. There's going to be these kind that, that hear the gospel, and, and they're going to seem like they're, they're on the team, and they're going to be like workers, but don't be discouraged. They're going to fade away. There's going to be these other kind that, that come, and they're just never going to quite be all that God intends them to be because they've got competing desires. But some of the seeds are going to hit soil and it's going to way, way outdo all of that. Multiply by 30, by 60, by 100. See, this parable is about how the gospel is spread. That's key to understand. That illuminates the rest of the parables. It's about how the gospel is spread. Jesus is encouraging his disciples because the prospects look grim. The word will fall on good soil, Jesus is encouraging. Yeah, yeah, some of these guys aren't going to get it. Yeah, we're kicked out of the temple. Yeah, there's going to be people who, who just, they, they won't commit all the way, just part of the way. 
There's be secret disciples. There's going to be people who, who just, they're going to have competing passions and desires. Don't worry, the kingdom of heaven is going to be just fine. Some of it's going to hit good soil, and God's going to use it exponentially. He wanted to encourage them, just so. God's got to grow. This is a parable about fruitfulness. It's not meant to be something we use to measure uh, against people to see if they're uh, saved or not. It's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is how the gospel spread. It's not meant to be this, this kind of litmus that you use against yourself or against other people about, oh, you're not in, you're not in, you're not. In fact, notice something interesting. Only one of the seeds doesn't become a plant. Three out of four become plants. The other two, what's the difference? What's the punchline? The punchline is one produces and bears fruit. And that's what he wants to encourage them in. So, if that's what this passage is about, maybe we can draw some conclusions about what keeps people from uh, sowing seed. Because that's what Jesus is trying to encourage. The gospel's going to move forward, just so. Just so God's got to grow. So what keeps people from sowing seed or being fruitful? Well, maybe your heart is hard to the gospel. And it can't break through. What keeps you from, from being fruitful? Maybe you came in here this morning, and you're like, man, I've kind of heard this church song and dance a few times, but life is rough. And I've tried all the other things. Might as well give this another shot. And maybe for the first time, you just saw a little crack in, in it, like, like that Jesus didn't come here to set up a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. He came to fulfill and be the perfect sacrifice in order to forgive sins. So all of the peace with God, the reconciliation that you've been longing for, is in this gospel story. And maybe if your heart's been hard to that, I'd like to invite you into praying today. We're going to pray for you. To pray that God would break through that. That he would give you a heart to believe that he replaced your heart with stone, of stone with a heart of flesh. Maybe uh, the reason why you might lack fruitfulness in your life is because you have no root in yourself. So that whenever the gospel is challenged, you, you shy away, you fade away, you wither away. The interesting thing is how you develop perseverance is to lean into it. Lean into the opposition because you know that God's gonna use it. James 1, 2, and 3 says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith, this is the testing grounds, and the test is never for God. He already knows the outcome. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. It develops staying power. It develops steadfastness. It develops the ability to remain under the pressure. So consider it joy, because God's gonna use it. And let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all 
If you're one of those people that like every time you're like, I'm a Christian, but uh, I know what that's going to mean with these friends. Uh, I know what that's going to mean at work. And that's stifling your, your ability to bear fruit, the scorching sun. You need your roots to go deeper by staying in it and praying, God, give me wisdom in how to navigate this situation. Give me wisdom in, in, in how to stay in it. And here's the cool thing about that passage. It says, and God will give it. The prayer request that is guaranteed. Every time you pray to God for wisdom, he gives it. He gives it. And so that's something you could pray if, if that's you. Maybe you fall for the shiny things of this world and it chokes out the gospel and your witness is ruined. Maybe, maybe uh, in your life, there are the cares of this world. Somewhere along the lines, you, you've replaced that the gospel is this thing that sheds light and is the lens through which you see everything and it shapes how you act and how you move and how you breathe and subtly, instead of shaping those things, those things kind of creep in. The, the cares of this world, the things that kind of vie for your attention, things that are usually good, things like your marriage, things like your kids, things like, like your job, or the weight of, of all the pain, the bills, and all these things, they start to creep in and they grab the nutrients that were meant to build you up in order that you might produce fruit. Or maybe it's the deceitfulness of riches. Maybe, maybe your lack of bearing fruit, lack of being everything that God desires you to be for him to use you and spread the gospel is stifled by you believing the lie. Like, if I could just earn this, then life would be set. Or maybe you've earned so much that you've actually believed that you're set for this life. And that currency is no good beyond this place. That's why Jesus had to pay for it all. We don't even have the right change. Or maybe uh, just the pursuit, the desire for other things. You got laser fixed on something that really is not the gospel. If I could just get this promotion, if I could just get him back, if I could just get her back, if I could just get my kids through this season. And you forgot that the gospel is the thing that informs all of those things. And it's blocking out the sun, it's grabbing the nutrients out of the soil. And you're a plant, but you're not everything God has desired you to be. There's no fruit. But when you hear the word, and you accept it, and you bear fruit, this gospel becomes the lens through which you view the world. And you can't unsee it. I was reading this incredible uh, story about William Wilberforce there's a man who, who encountered the gospel and he said, okay, my whole culture's wrong. I gotta get rid of slave trade. I gotta get rid of all of these things. I gotta, and he just couldn't, they said he couldn't unsee it. It's amazing what God can do with a man or woman who just can't unsee the gospel. Like everything is just shaped. They can't see the world the way they used to see it. Everything is just completely changed. I was thinking about uh, Flipper. You guys know Flipper? for a change of subject. <laughs> Flipper, when I was a kid, you used to have to watch TV, it just kinda happened to you, you can like actively switch to something else, and so daytime television, I watch reruns of Flipper. 
Now, Flipper was a dolphin, and he, every, the, the episodes were the same every time, right? Somebody's in trouble, luckily it's in the ocean, and Flipper <laughs> saves them, right? It's the same thing every time. Flipper goes and he saves people, which is incredible. Like, this dolphin has incredible porpoise. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. That's terrible. Don't laugh at that. But I had to do it. He saves people, and then they're like, wow, he saved people, and they throw him a dead fish. Here you go, Flipper. Thanks for saving people. Dead fish. Dead fish? He just saved people. The first time Flipper saved somebody, you've got to believe there was probably like parades, right? Like the, da, da, the people marching, the big floats of Flipper, dancers going, eh, all that stuff, you know. <laughs> the Flipper parade. But somewhere the miracle became mundane, became routine. And here, Flipper, dead fish, thanks again. Roll credits. Funny, but we live in the miracle of the gospel. And yet, we worship half-heartedly. And I'm not just talking about the songs we sing half-heartedly, but the way we live in response to what God has done. Paul says in Romans 1.16, which is the thesis verse of the entire book, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Get that? The gospel is the power, you have the power of God in the gospel. He has justified you, redeemed you, covered you with his grace, put, you've taken on his righteousness because you couldn't live perfect, so he did, and he died for you. And not only did he die, but he rose from the dead to show you that you have hope of the glory of God, so you should rejoice. And we should live life in this response with this parade, and yet, I'll be honest, I do the same things. It's insane. The gospel should change everything. If you knew, let me go on to these questions here. We'll start to wrap up. Let me ask you this. If you knew it was God's job to grow it, how would you sow it? If you believed that this was the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, how would you sow seeds? Not worrying, unencumbered by the fact that it's going to hit soil that's hard. It's going to hit soil that it grows and and it quickly withers. Or it's going to hit soil that's that's going to uh, be choked out. It's never going to produce as much fruit as it could have. But trusting that, God, you're going to use it. Someone's going to hit good soil and you're going to use it far beyond what I could see. I remember this story about... uh, uh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a great evangelist. We learned about that word. He liked to share the good news. And uh, when he was starting out, nobody knew who he was. Funny how that works. But he was trying, to, he was working for his mentor, and his mentor got asked, hey, we need an evangelist to come to this little Christian school. We'd love for you, uh, you to come. And he goes, oh, I can't go. I've got other obligations. I can send Billy. We don't know who Billy Graham is. We don't want Billy. We want you. You can have him or nothing. Okay, we'll take Billy. So they take Billy, and Billy, he preaches his heart out. He's this young guy. He's kind of he's getting started out. He gets back, and the guy asks him, hey, how'd it go? He goes, ah, one kid came forward, just one. 
Yes, that's incredible. That's, that's a miracle of, of God. You know, you, you just won a, God just won a soul. Like, we should celebrate that. Years later, they're doing a big celebration of Billy Graham, and they, they, they revealed who that one was. He was a, a, a man by the name of Warren Wearsby. Warren Wearsby has written lots and lots of books. He's preached sermons. He's, he's done incredible things for the faith. The point of the story is we don't know what God's going to use to impact people or generations or family trees. But God's going to use it. He's in charge of growing it. He can use it to impact times 30, times 60, times 100. If you knew that it was God's job to grow it, how would you sow it? Would you scatter it so indiscriminately like this, this sower does? He doesn't worry about it. He doesn't worry about, okay, this guy's going to be frustrated. He's not going to get it. He doesn't worry about, hey, what kind of Christian are they going to, like, he just sows the seed. It doesn't mean you don't walk with people and try to build them up, but you don't get discouraged by the fact that God might not use it the way that you hoped it would be, or it might be stifled. Now, if you're going to sow seeds, the application here is not for you to go out and hand out tracts or to be well-versed in apologetics. Neither of those two are bad. But I think the trick is to be a witness. Jesus said, I want you to go out and be my witnesses. He didn't say, go out and be my lawyers. And there's an interesting distinction between those two. What does a witness do? He gets up on the stand and he says what God has done. I was lost, but now I'm found. Who is this man? I, I, I don't know who you guys think he is, but I'll tell you this. I was blind, but now I see. All you have to do to bear fruit is to believe that the gospel actually is good news, that Jesus forgave your sin, and you talk about what God has done. You bear witness to it. You don't have to defend it. It's a cra- that'd be really hard to defend that. I think God's got that covered. doesn't mean you shouldn't learn those things, but it doesn't mean you need to know those things in order to bear fruit. Jesus has called you to be his witness. The other thing you could do is you could keep your eyes peeled. Maybe a, a, an application this week would be to, to wake up every morning, first thing, and pray, God, would you open my eyes to whom I should show, uh, whom I should sow seed, whom I should share the gospel with. Or God, maybe, maybe more importantly, would you give me the courage to not care? And to just sow seed and trust that you are what they're actually after. I'm going to invite the worship team up here. But as they come up, I want to point out question 10 in your uh, connection group homework. Question 10 is asking you, what, what can you do over the next 30 days? It's not something you can fill out today. I want you to pray over it. I want you to talk about it with people. And I want you to think, God, what would you have me do? that I might bear fruit, that there might be a harvest way beyond what I could ever imagine or even get to see in this lifetime? Whose names would you lay on my heart? What uh, divine appointments would you set before me? So I'm gonna pray for us right now. God, I pray for those in the room that they are praying, God, would you 
Would you break my stony heart? Would you let your gospel penetrate it to its core? I pray that you would overwhelm them with your presence and your goodness, that they might believe and know that you are good and you are God, that you are the king who forgives sins. For the rest of us, God, I pray this old prayer. Would you disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when we arrive safely because we've sailed too close to shore, when our dreams come true because we've dreamed too little? Will you disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we've lost our thirst for the waters of life, and having fallen in love with life itself, we've ceased to dream of eternity? We ask you to push back uh, the horizons of our hopes, God. We, we ask you to disturb us to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. Be our courage. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and push us into the future in courage, hope, and love. We ask these things in the name of our captain and our king, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.